continue our worship with the reading of the word. You can stick down. In the book of Ezra, talks about how the word of God had been lost. The law had been lost. And then all of a sudden, they were cleaning out the temple. They were going through the old files and they found the word of God. God hadn't spoken. People hadn't heard the, the freshness of truth in so long. They found it and all of a sudden there was this, this great excitement about finding their purpose, about finding hope, about finding truth. And they all gathered together. And it says that they stood. They stood from the morning all the way to the evening. The young with the old, even little children, they stood just listening to God's Word. In honor of God's Word, in, in hunger and in thirst for His righteousness, for His truth. May we come with the same anticipation to God's Word. Ephesians chapter 3. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God Himself revealed His mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the Creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was His eternal plan which He carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of, the, of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the Creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank You so much for Your truth. We thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for Your revelation. Thank You, Lord, that You don't leave us in the dark. You don't leave us to our own ways, our own thoughts, our own opinions, our own devices, but 
Lord, you guide us by your Spirit. And you give us the power to live a life pleasing to you, to live a life of completeness, a life of fullness. I pray, Lord, as we, as we journey into your Word tonight, that you would touch each and every one of our hearts, draw each and every one of us into a, a deeper relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You <laughs> I think, that, I think that in our Christian walk, in our, in our journey to understand Christ, I think a lot of times we, we settle for a lover less wild than Jesus. We settle for a God that we have boxed in. We settle for a God that we can understand, that we can comprehend a God that we can grasp, a God that we can know according to our minds, something that we can wrap our head around. And Jesus just isn't safe. <laughs> He's good, but he just isn't, isn't safe. He, he, isn't, he isn't tameable. He isn't placid. He isn't, he isn't just hanging out. He isn't just comfortable with complacency and as we go into into Ephesians and we're looking at this mystery of grace the revelation of grace it's one of those things where where grace should impact our lives in such a way that that we change the grace of God the the love of God poured out the mercy of God poured out in our lives it should impact us in such a way that we should grow that we should that we should abound that we should revel that it should stir up passion that it should be something that we move into the the realm of adventure in our walk with Christ where each and every step that we take is something of of anticipation of a hope biblical hope is the expectation of something good happening the expectation of coming good. I remember growing up and the, the first trip that we were going to take to Disney World. Wow, Disney World. Man, that's awesome. Never been to a theme park, you know. Are we really going to Disney World? Yeah, we're going to Disney World. All right. <laughs> Disney World. I'm going, all my friends knew. I told him every day. I just, did I tell you about Disney World? I'm going to Disney World. There was this expectation that something good was going to happen. And so school ends out, you know, Friday, last day of school. And I wake up the next morning with poison ivy covering my face. My eyes were swollen shut, pus oozing out. I know that's gross. I'm going, oh man, the plan is blown. My, my mom comes in and she screams. <laughs> what happened to you? They'd been building a water tower. They'd been burning off this land and poison ivy had been burned and it was in the air and my face just exploded. <laughs> and she said, do you want to go to Disney World? I said, are you kidding? <laughs> There's, there's still some good. There's, there's some good that's going to happen. 
So we put ice packs on my face, and I wore a, a, a pair of my dad's big old 70s sunglasses, you know. Had the biggest smile. Looked like a monster, but had the biggest smile on my face, you know. Yeah, Mickey Mouse. Pluto. Donald. Right. Yes. The expectation of something wonderful that my mind could comprehend, that I had, you know, kind of an inkling about what it was about. I, I'd seen pictures and I'd heard stories. Oh, you've been there? Tell me about it. Really? Wow. And yet God says in his word that he wants to do infinitely more. Not just a little more. Exponentially more. To the X power. Not just squared but something that is beyond our comprehension. He wants to do more than we can ask or than we can even comprehend, that we can even, even think about. So as we, as we go into this journey, as we kind of take a, a look at, at, at what God has done over time, over, the, over a period of, of history, over the period of, of His story, the goal is to be able to identify why God has allowed certain things to happen this is going to be our teaching lesson here. And the awesome thing about it is... Sound effects. The first age that God revealed started with creation. Creation through the fall. This was the age of innocence. It's the perfect environment. There's nothing wrong. Adam and Eve, it's just them. They hang out in the cool of the day with God. It's enjoying a relationship with God as it was meant to be. But something went terribly wrong. The fall. They fell from grace. They walked away from a relationship with God. And now we, some say six, seven thousand years later, some say millions of years later, I don't really guess it matters. It doesn't change God's truth. But now we oftentimes are on our, our quest for lost innocence, trying to regain innocence. And so we begin to deal with it in the same way that Adam and Eve dealt with it when they fell. Hey, Adam, where are you? He was hiding. Adam, what are you, what are you doing? What's, what's going on? What's wrong? Well, you know, um, this woman, this woman that you, she... She, she messed me up, God. It's, it's the woman's fault. Eve, what happened? Well, it, it, was, it, was the, it was the snake. You know, it was the serpent. It was, it was, it was his fault. You know? and, and what happened was innocence was lost and the blame game began. And here, this is one of the ways that we try to cope, that we try to deal, that we try to you know, devise in our mind. If I can just get back to purity, if I can just get back to... To, to lost innocence. But the blame game doesn't work. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame your neighbors. You can't blame God. Because as it all comes down to, each and every one of us have the choice. There was no society to mess them up. And we have no reason to take that as an excuse either well i've been socialized this way it's not my fault innocence 
God debunked it. The next stage that, uh, that God brings us into, that he reveals in his word, the age of conscience. You've got to love these sound effects. It's wonderful having a toddler. Get to play with all these kinds of things. Conscience from the fall to the flood. All right, you know, innocence is lost, and basically now what we can do is just kind of, just kind of go with the flow, live and let live. Hey, I'm okay, you're okay, right? You know, it's all good. Don't worry about it. You just do what you think is right. I'll, th- I'll do what I think is right, and, and we'll just kind of get along. But we don't get along. It doesn't work. We don't have the same standards. What's right to me is not necessarily right to you, and so God shows conscience isn't your guide. You can't just live by your good conscience. There has to be something more. So the next age that they walk into is government. Sorry. Replay the conscience here. Government, our elephant. Government, and they move into the stage from, from uh, the flood to the Tower of Babel, where we go f- and we see self-government. Okay, you, you think you've got it under control. You, you think that, all right, what we need to do is just kind of set up a governing authority. We need to, we need to make a, a standardized way of a life. Obviously, conscience, you know, everybody doing what's right in their own eyes is just not working. So what we'll do is we'll set a standard. We'll have government. We'll have self-government. We'll make up the rules as we go along, and we'll just kind of see what happens. And so what happens is they make this, this kind of logical recompense-based kind of society. All right, capital punishment, an eye for an eye, you know. And they begin this building project. All of mankind is gathered together. They're one nation. They're one language. They're becoming this kind of superpower in their own eyes. They begin this government building project, the Tower of Babel. I like the way the King James Version describes it. It says that they they make the, the tower out of Bricks and slime. Maybe that's an appropriate (laughs) government uh, building project description there. Bricks and slime. Just gunk, junk, garbage. And their aspiration is, all right, we're going to kick God out of heaven. If you read it in Genesis chapter 11, they they build this tower and they say, all right, we're going to ascend all the way into the heavens. We are going to be like God. We are the governing authority. And so God says, you know what? That isn't going to work. You're going to bring about the end of yourselves. And so he disperses the nations. And for us, as we sit here, you know, in, in, in 2008, getting ready for the elections, and the word there is, guess what? Government doesn't work. No, duh. <laughs> but there's never been a Savior on Capitol Hill. Our Savior is in Jesus Christ alone. Government elected official is not the answer. So the next area that we move into is promise. Promise. If I just have a promise, if I just have a vision, if I just can kind of grasp the goal, if I can just have this hope, this idea for the future that I can, that I can move towards, that I can, well, then I can just kind of float above the present. Then I can just kind of soar above the things that are going on because guess what? Something good is going to happen. I've got a vision. I've got a goal. I can, I can make it through. I can be future-minded. I can be future-focused. And, 
Well, the present doesn't really matter. It does matter. So this, this promise doesn't work. And, and that era goes from Abraham all the way to the Exodus. And we see that as Abraham follows the vision given to him by God, as he goes on this journey of faith, we see that it sours. We see that the vision wasn't enough. We see that he ends up being in a place where the children of Israel, as he goes to Egypt, the the journey of faith has gone south. They've gone from Israel down to Egypt, and now they're in bondage. Now they're in slavery. The promise doesn't work. So then we have the law. From the Exodus to the cross. The law. All right, God, well, you know what? Great. We, we've tried it our way. We lost our innocence. We can't do things by our conscience. Self-government doesn't work. We can't follow the promise that you've given us. And so, well, God, just, just make it really simple for us. Make it really easy. Just, just give us a law. Just give us something new. Just give us the do's and the don'ts. Legalism. Just tell us what to do. Give us these real simple things that we can follow and, and then everything will be great. Then we'll know how we can please you and then we'll know how to have a relationship with you. Then we'll know how to do this thing called life and, and we'll begin to get successful and we'll begin to, to feel satisfied with ourselves and just, God, just tell us what to do. But the law doesn't work. And the law doesn't work by no fault of its own. The Bible tells us that the law is good. Not one aspect of the law, not one crossing of the T or dotting of the I, not one word is going to fail, not one aspect of it is going to fall, but that Jesus Christ was actually the fulfillment of the law. And yet, I can't keep the law. Even on the way here, my mind got into the song and my foot went to the floor and I found myself, whoa, 55 and a 45, I better slow down. I can't keep the law. Even when I try, even when my consciousness is is aware and I'm on top of it, guess what? There's going to be times when I slip up, when I make mistakes. And if we break one aspect of the law, then we've broken it all. The next era, grace. From the resurrection to the present time and beyond until Jesus Christ returns, the age of grace, the age of the church. And this is really where we kind of pick up with with Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. And this is where we we get this revelation of the mystery of grace. That now it's, it's no longer works. It's no longer what I can do. It's no longer what I think. But this is grace through faith. Nothing that I can do so that I can't boast. So that I can't get puffed up. So that I can't get prideful. It's all about what Jesus Christ has done. And so he reveals this mystery, this, this revelation. And pick up with me in, uh, in verse 8. Ephesians chapter 3. It says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. 
Here he is, he kind of identifies what God's doing in his life and, and using him in the scope of history to kind of debunk and, and, to, and to point to, hey, guess what? Man's ways, man's devices, man's opinions, thoughts, they're not going to work. We've got to get to this thing called grace, where Jesus Christ does it all, where we understand and we get past our knowledge and we get past knowing to a place of experiencing God. And he says, it's my great privilege to serve you in this way. One of the things I love about my wife is I, I never ask her to serve me. She simply does it because she loves me. She blows my mind. She's always looking for ways to please me. She's always looking for ways to serve me, to express the great love that's in her heart. And she just simply says, it, it's my pleasure. I, I can't believe that God has given me you and I love you so much that I just want to serve you. It blows my mind. I go, wow, that's such a beautiful picture of Christ. And here Paul is emulating the same thing. He says, you know what? I'm in prison. I'm writing this letter because of my suffering for the faith. And yet, we don't read anything about, about the hardships that he's going through. Instead, we read, it's a privilege for me to suffer for Christ. It's a privilege for me to be, to be in suffering and to be in torture and to be in a, in a cold and damp cell where there's rats running around. It's a privilege for me because I know that God is using this to glorify himself. He speaks of the endless treasures. The King James Version talks about it in terms of, of unsearchable riches. You've probably heard the, the footprints in the sand. You know, we kind of get that little picture. Maybe it gives you warm fuzzies. <laughs> we look back on our life and we see walking along the beach, you know, there's, there's two sets of footprints. And we go, oh, God, he's walking with me through life. He's never going to leave me or forsake me, you know. And then we review our lives and we see those times. Well, wait a second, there, there's only one set of footprints. What's going on? What happened? And God said, oh, those are the times, you know, those are the times that I was carrying you. Oh, God. You're so sweet. You must really love me. But this is something different. This is the unseen. This is the intangible. This is something that we can't experience with my senses. We can't grasp it. We can't hold on to it. And the, and the Greek word actually paints a picture. It says not being capable of being traced by footprints. Got any Kung Fu fans in the house? Remember Master Khan? Master Khan, and he tells Cain, he says, all right, grasshopper. When you can walk on the rice paper and leave no trace, then, then and only then, then you'll become a, a master. Then you'll become one with the environment around you, then you will, you'll know what's up. God's got some mad kung fu. Here he is, he's, he's going, I'm undetectable. I'm under your radar. I'm always working, I'm always interacting, I'm, I'm always drawing things out of you, I'm always orchestrating, I'm always working it out for your good. But sometimes you're just not going to see it. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. 
And this is a challenge for us as we move into a deeper relationship with Christ to go not just by, oh God, yes, you're beside me. You're the paraclete. You come alongside me by your Holy Spirit and you comfort me and you encourage me and you're my friend, you're my buddy, you're my helper. You're not just my provider and my protector. You're not just Jehovah Jireh. You're not just the one who's carrying me and taking care of me. But there's also this mystery. There's also this aspect of you that I just simply can't grasp in this battle of the infinite versus the finite. In the battle of the known versus the unknown. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Pick up with me in verse 10. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in a rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. We see the mystery. We see God's design. We see His plan unfolding. We see the, the things that He's doing. And, and yet there's that aspect that's unseen. There's that part of His design that, that He's created that we just can't really wrap our minds around. That we really just, we can't fully grasp, that we can't understand, that we can't, can't comprehend. And so we ask the question, why is there a mystery at all? Why does there have to be a mystery? Why can't I just, why, why God can't you just kind of boom, snap, open my understanding? Why can't I just be like Christ? And it's uncomfortable for us. And God's created us with a certain design, with a certain, a certain potential. He's created us to soar. He's created us to fly. He's, he's created us, you know, we went through Song of Solomon. It says, my beloved comes on, on the mountaintops. He, he bounds across the mountaintops. He's, he's created us to be able to overcome life circumstances and life situations, as Paul did. He's created us with this design that gets us past the things that we know where the victory isn't in the mind. It isn't about what we can grasp and what we can understand. It isn't, wow, I've read the whole Bible 1,700 times and, and I can quote 2,000 Bible verses and, and I can pray just like Jesus. It's not just about in the things that we know, but it, the battle is really in the Spirit. The victory is really in the Spirit because God is not something to be known, but He is someone to be experienced. And if we follow his design, we get out there and we go, all right, God, I've got this potential. I've got this opportunity. I've, I've got the chance to grow. I've got the opportunity for faith. I've got the opportunity for hope and for trust. I've got the opportunity for love. I've got the, the opportunity for relationships. I've got the, the opportunity for completeness, for satisfaction. But if I just sit there, never realize my potential. If I just sit there as that piece of paper and I just fall to the ground and I just slowly waft and I have no purpose. But if I follow God's design, so it didn't go as planned. But isn't that just like the Christian walk sometimes? <laughs> yeah! 
thought I was doing so great. <laughs> and as we learn to fly, as we learn to spread the wings, we learn to soar. The mother eagle, when the eaglet gets to a certain age, the mother eagle just simply kicks the baby out of the nest. <laughs> it's awesome. I just go, are you kidding me? Wow, where's the motherly love in that? Where's the nurture in that? No, the mother is like, hey, this is my nest, and you're getting a little bit big. So you better learn. <laughs> and they live on these cliffs, and, and there it is. They're at the top of this cliff, and the, the eaglet is on the way down, you know, with no bungee cord, just I got to spread them. I, gotta, I better learn to fly. The leap of faith, the life of faith. And, and that's really what God's called us to. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. But we have to find that potential. We have to identify the potential and then we have to be able to release it. And for some of us, we sit there and we go, you know what? It says that we can come boldly into the throne of grace. We can come boldly into the, the presence of God, but I just don't understand that. I can't grasp that. I can't, I can't wrap my, my mind around it because guess what? There's, there's things that I've done that I just don't know if God can forgive me. Maybe, maybe God didn't really mean me. <laughs> maybe I'm the exception to the rule. Maybe God's grace isn't sufficient for me I'm here to tell you that it is that you're not going to be able to grasp it with your mind you're not going to be able to understand God's love and his grace you're not going to be able to to understand why Christ died for us while we were still sinners while we were still blasphemers before we walked into a room and with a community of people who, who proclaimed faith in Christ Jesus, and before we, we raised our voices in song and said, you make everything glorious, before we, we bowed our hearts and, and said, God, I want your will to be done and not my own, before all of that, he died. Before all of that, he loved. And it's never ending. I think it's Psalm 136. Your faithful love never ends. It's a statement that repeats at the end of each sentence. Through all the hardships, through all the trials, no matter what's going on in my life, your faithful love, your mercy never ends. It always, ever endures. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Just come boldly to the throne of grace. Verse 14, Paul continues, he says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees. And I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. The mystery. The mystery of God's love. 
But the mystery is one of those things that makes us uncomfortable. Just like in, in the eighth grade English class where we learn, you know, the, the adverbs. Who, what, when, where, why? These are the questions that adverbs ask. We want to know. We've trained our minds. I want to know who. I want to know when. I want to know why. I want to know what. I want to know how. I need to know these things. This is where I find my comfort. This is where I find my security. This is where I find my peace. I need the answer. I struggle with the unknown. I have questions. Why? Why is there pain? Why is there sickness and disease? Why, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? Or maybe more, for, more profound, why do, why do good things happen to bad people? That's a killer. <laughs> I, I, I can't grasp that. I can't wrap my mind around that. The people that are doing all of the wrong things just seem to have life so easy sometimes. Why is that? Where? Where do I, where do I fit in? Where do I find fulfillment? Where do I find satisfaction? What? What is the point of life? What is the source of creativity? Where does life what is, life, what is the source of life? Where does life flow from? And what about the zeitgeist? <laughs> Seen that on YouTube? These people that have put together these series of films that basically say, we have all of the answers. It's all a big conspiracy. And we've debunked it. We've figured it out. But what's the point? Their point is that you can be set free by the knowledge as they, have, as they have understood it, that the world sucks. Wow, thanks. <laughs> that really gives me some real hope. That really gives me something to look forward. That really gives me something that, that I can just use tangibly in my everyday life. That really makes me want to get out of bed in the morning. And their idea behind that is that, wow, that should be freeing. The truth will set you free. They quote Jesus. The truth will set you free. But that isn't the truth. That isn't hope. That isn't the source of life. But we want knowledge. But God is some, not something to be known, but He is someone to be experienced. It said there in, in that section of verses that then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. And the real question for each and every one of us is how comfortable is Jesus Christ in your heart? Does He have move, room to, to move around? Does He have access to the different areas of your heart? Does He have room to spread out? Is He able to infiltrate your thoughts? Is He able to, to govern your actions? Is He able to help you with the things that you're feeling? Does he have free reign or is it one of those things, you know, you've, we've got the little the room that's closed off, restricted access, the man lair. Well, this is where, this is where I do what, what I want to do, God. This is where I have, you know, my little security blanket actions and feelings and, and things that that, I, that, I, that make me feel good as a human, this is where I express who I am. Does he have access to your personality? 
Is your heart open enough to say, God, change me, make me, mold me, shape me into who you want me to be, into who you have designed me to be, in the unique individual that I am? That's a big question for us. Does he have room to spread out the, the, the explanation there as he talks? He says, how high and how wide and how deep, how long is the love of God? Something that is describing space. And a lot of times our understanding of God is just simply something that's two-dimensional. Here it is. It's, it's my Bible. It's a picture of Jesus with that, that big, weird, glowy halo look, you know, and this dreamy look in his eyes off into space. It's something that's just kind of like, oh yeah, here's, here's Jesus, here's what I understand, here's what I grasp. But is it something that has height and is it something that has depth? Is it something that has breadth? Is it something that has volume that begins to expand, that it grows? That as I walk forward, as I move forward in my journey of faith, that the love of God is something that is just exploding out of me. That it is becoming a wellspring of life where I'm not just a container where I'm not just a cup, where I don't just have a certain capacity, but instead, I'm overflowing with God's love. I've become a conduit. I've begun something that God's love passes through, that I receive it, that I experience it, and I give it. And that's God's design. That He would impact our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, our personality. Part of the journey that we've been going on in this, in this letter from prison is we've been receiving a letter from a man named Richard. He's in prison and he's been writing these, these words to encourage us and this is his letter this week. He says, I'm not a prisoner of Christ as Paul was. I'm not in prison because of my work to those who are not Jews, as Paul also states in the first passage of Ephesians. So it's difficult for me to truly understand being incarcerated because of my faith. However, I do understand that Paul did not waste words in detailing his hardship. He didn't, he didn't complain of the injustice and he did not resort to blaming anyone or anything. He simply got to work. He looked beyond his circumstances to his greater priorities in life. He wrote to believers hoping to encourage, and he prayed. What better example could those of us incarcerated use than this? Most of us in here do everything except follow that example. We whine about the system and complain about the injustice. We blame our parents, society, our friends, the judge, the neighbors. Those are the reasons for me being here. Not the fact that I robbed the bank, took 17 hostages, and ran over a local policeman as I tried to get away. Not to mention that I did it on a Sunday. In light of the way, God, in light of the way Paul handled his incarceration, we ought to feel convicted. We ought to want more of ourselves than the self-pity that is so common. When I read the things he prays for in Ephesians, I realized that he answered his hardship with faith and action. And I feel compelled to do more and to be more. There's always something in God's kingdom to be involved in. My circumstances should never dictate that involvement. I could write to friends and family and encourage them in the faith. I could speak more of the truth to the people around me. I could take action as Paul did. 
It also occurs to me that this philosophy isn't limited to my current situation alone. Throughout my entire life, I can take action in spite of hardship. I don't have to wait for my finances to straighten out, or for my degree, or even for all my theological questions to be answered, or for the right mood. I can take action now, and I can be faithful. I don't have to weigh out what I do and do not deserve, or question whether or not I'm deserving of another year of incarceration or another 10 years. I'm called to action, and when I take action, those trivial matters fade away. As I read Richard's letter, I was struck by the fact there are great similarities between a man incarcerated and those of us that call ourselves free. The condition isn't one of a, of a prison. It's not one of a cage. It's not physical bars that bind us. It's not something that we can wrap our mind around, but the battle is something that's spiritual. It's a human condition. Each and every one of us, our need for Christ Paul says in verse 18, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We pray with me? Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, I pray that you give us the power as we examine our hearts, as we look into this thing of, of, of wonderment that you've done, this mystery that you've unfolded, where you say, I love you, just the way you are, just the way that I created you. Lord, we thank you so much for your love. Lord, I pray that you would just open our minds, Lord, expand our hearts to be able to, to really investigate the adventure of your love, to be able to move forward in the volume of your love. Lord, that you would have free reign, that you would be at home in our hearts, that you would come and you would dwell with us, you would abide with us. And Lord, that's simply a work that you do. That your Spirit gives us the lift that we need to overcome our circumstances. That Your Spirit guides us to truth and Your Spirit empowers us to be able to be overcomers. Lord, as we continue our worship, pray that You just speak these truths to our heart and touch us as only You can do. Bless us as only You can do. In Jesus' name, Amen.